Lord Jesus, we sing these songs as our prayer this morning, that we would find a firm foundation in you upon which we build our lives by your Holy Spirit. Today we rest in you. We put our trust in you. We resist the temptation to put our trust in the horses and chariots, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord. Lord, as we worship you for us in a most unusual way, we do worship you together. While the majority of our membership, the majority of the people that we would call a part of Abundant Life Church are not in this room, and yet before your throne, you hear us as one voice. We pray that you continue to accept our Sacrifice of praise and our worship as acceptable in your sight, Lord God. And that you would fill us, each one, with your Holy Spirit. Whatever the days ahead hold for us, we know that you are holding us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, this morning for leading us uh, in songs that speak from our heart, that speak from where we are. Uh, I guess I'll make one announcement, and uh, this is our version of receiving the offering, and that is that we now know that our PayPal is fully functional, for those of you who've been asking, fully functional and operational, so you now have four avenues by which you can uh, give your normal tithes and offerings. And, of course, that is mailing them in, dropping them off at the church office. Um, that is PayPal and Venmo. And so if you have any questions about any of that, call the church office tomorrow morning, and uh, we can help you with that as much as possible. Uh, we continue doing the online service uh, we don't know yet how long this is going to last. Uh, while this is certainly effective and, and it certainly gives opportunity for us to, to hear the word of God and to worship together, we certainly look forward to the day when we can gather together and see the whites of our eyes, so to speak, and worship God together. Today I want to talk on the topic, Let Us Grip the Solid Rock, subtitled, While the Sand Seems to be Sinking. Let us grip the solid rock while the sand seems to be sinking. There's, there is uh, the temptation, there is the invitation for us to panic, there's the temptation for us to to be fearful, to look around, and to observe our surroundings and the behavior, both good and bad, of people in our society, and to, to feel like things are just sinking underneath our feet. But today I invite you to take a, to get a good grip on the solid rock today. My mission today is for when we're done for you to be strengthened in your faith, is for you to be encouraged, 
to you, for you to resist and reject all sources of fear and that you see God as he is. Naturally, my title comes from the song that says, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Edward Moat penned these words many years ago. And then he says, All other ground is sinking sand. It's on Christ that I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. We need firm ground to stand on, but not only during the current circumstances, but at all times as well. We need, regardless of whether or not we're facing a pandemic or whatever the adverse circumstances are that we are in the midst of, we need to be able to stand on firm ground so that we're not given to the sinking sand. I was thinking of another song that we used to sing back in the day. Uh, Ruth K. Jones penned these words that say, In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. I wonder if she was thinking ahead to the year 2020 when we would be in the midst of a pandemic. Be very sure and be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And then just in case we weren't sure, she tells us this rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure and be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Please don't give in to fear. Please don't give in to panic. But maintain your relationship and your trust in the solid rock. Last night, as many of you did, I watched the Grand Ole Opry on Circle TV and enjoyed Ricky and Ricky Skaggs and the Daily and Vincent. I was sitting there watching when Ricky started quoting Haggai 2 and talking about the world being shaken. And I looked over at my wife. I said, is he going to be surprised when he finds out tomorrow morning? That's my text. If you have got your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, uh, turn to Haggai 2. You say, where is Haggai 2? Put that. If you just look at you start at Matthew and go left, Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. Uh, don't act like you go to Haggai all the time and read. We know better. But it's, it's just three books off from the New Testament. It's a great, it's a great prophecy, by the way, and I would encourage you, uh, later on, uh, to read the book of Haggai. It's very short, and of course, if I get boring, you can read it to this morning. But Haggai 2, verse 1, uh, we're gonna read and uh, if you're at home, you want to stand, you do that. Uh, I mean, I can't see you. But in verse 1 in the English Standard Version, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? 
Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Key verses. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews quotes this passage. He says, I will shake the, he- the earth and the heavens. I I remembered in preparing this message that I have heard from various sources over the last few months, um, unrelated sources, uh, that there had been prophetic words offered by some for some time that there would come a shaking in our nation and that we should prepare ourselves for a shaking. Well, here we are. I believe that we, this is an understatement, probably the understatement of the year, I believe that we are in a time of shaking now. I believe God is, you can say whether he's the author of this, that's up for debate, but I believe that he uses these times and is using this time for the shaking of our nation. By the way, he begins with his church because we want to sit home and think of all those heathen out there Well, he's shaking his church. What we must understand is that the source of our situation isn't as important as how we respond during this time. I mean, there's some importance to the source, and there are those who are investigating the source, and that's for them and not for me. Well, for for my job is to tell you that the situation and the source of our situation isn't as important as our response during this time. Times of shaking, times of adverse circumstances, times of pressure cause us to reassess what is really important in our lives. What's really valuable in our lives. When, when you lose a loved one, um, you're not sitting at their funeral thinking about how you're going to get your hands on that luxury vehicle you've been wanting. You're not sitting there thinking about all the things you, you're going to buy when you get out of that funeral. I've often said a, a funeral service or a memorial service is where we, uh, where we face reality. We face our own mortality. And so when times of shaking come, we, we reassess what is really important. It's evidently toilet paper. I didn't know that, but uh, we're finding that out. But the questions we ask ourselves is, what is lasting? What is eternal? What is going to be here at the end of this? Now, 
As I said, if you would just turn over to Hebrews 12, a very similar passage, but the writer of Hebrews gives us a different viewpoint, so to speak. Uh, And I'm just going to read verses 26 through 29, and it reads this way, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet, because he goes quoting Haggai, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. I'd like to know what that looks like. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us, thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Haggai highlights these words. My spirit remains in your midst. My spirit remains. You think, you look around and you think, what's going on? Uh, What's going on around us? What's going on in other states? Remember the words, my spirit remains in your midst. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that during this time, we're seeing the removal of things that can be shaken, those things that are temporal. The things that that are not nearly as important as we once thought they were. And they've either been taken away or they've been dropped to the bottom of the list of priorities. And he says, the things that cannot be shaken are going to remain. The things that cannot be removed are still going to be with us. The things that are eternal during this time. One thing about seasons of shaking is that they always drive us to the throne of God. If the seasons of shaking do not drive us to the throne of God, we are not dealing in reality. Therefore, during seasons of shaking, we find mercy and grace for our time of need. Because he says, come with confidence to my throne and there you will find the grace and mercy that you need. And so while none of us would order the current circumstances, none of us would have ordered a a COVID-19 coronavirus, out of that, our our, uh, drawing to God's throne and receiving grace and mercy is a positive. Another thing that happens during these times of shaking and trials is that we come to grips with just who this God is that we serve. Who is this God that we serve? And we ask ourselves, is he big enough? And is he loving enough to walk with us through this trial? Is he is He a big enough God to take us through this time? Or do we need to be cowering in the corner, worrying? Again, the worship team had no idea that in my notes I was going to ask this question. Have I trusted in him? Or have I been putting my faith in horses and chariots? Psalm 20, verse 7. Am I, have, I, have I put my confidence and faith in God? Or am I trusting in horses and chariots? In other words, earthly or temporal solutions. We have to ask that question. 
Because for many of us, whether we want to face it or not, we have put our confidence in things outside of God. And so it's in these times of trial, these times of difficulty, these times of shaking, that I find no other option than to put my trust in him. I look around and I say, what else am I going to trust in? I can't trust in myself. I can't trust in humanity. I can't trust in the government. I can't trust anything or anyone except God himself. And so I really have no other option. It's, it's like when the, the multitudes left Jesus after he confronted them and Jesus asked the disciples, do you want to go too? And in the Granger paraphrase, Peter said, we looked and there was nowhere to go. Where could we go but to you? And so I want to offer us this morning some observations to insulate us from fear and insecurity. Now, these are going to be brief, uh, so just hang on. Uh, but just some observations that we need to uh, embrace so that we can hold on to the solid rock, the Lord Jesus. And the first one is, very simply, God is still on the throne. He has not left his throne. In normal life, whatever normal life is, I'm not sure we'll ever see that again, we don't usually think about that until we need him to be on the throne. We don't give much thought to God being on the throne until it's imperative that he is on the throne for our sake. But I want to tell you, he's still on the throne, and currently we need him to be kingly. We need him to be our king right now. But I want to assure you, God is still governing the world which he made. Uh, uh, Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that it contains. That has not changed. That has never changed. Don't buy the theology that God gave the world to the devil. God's always owned the earth. It's always been his. And it still is. And he's still sitting on his throne. Another thing, observation is, again, it seems kind of silly to even say this, but we're going to say it anyway. God himself is not shaken. Even though he said he would do the shaking. God's not shaken. He isn't alarmed. God isn't alarmed. Uh, God isn't surprised. There's no such thing as oops in God's language. There's no such thing as, well, I didn't see that one coming. No, God is not alarmed. He's not surprised. He's not shaken. He's not sitting on his heavenly throne, wringing his hands. He is solid. Another thing to remember is that God directs the hearts of kings. God directs the hearts of kings. The Proverbs teaches us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now, Nebuchadnezzar found that out the hard way. He resisted God, and so God turned his head like the rivers of waters. In his case, it was drastic, and he became insane, and he became, he lived out in the wilderness as a wild animal, until he repented and acknowledged God. 
God is still directing the hearts of kings. In 1787, when when our country was organizing itself and the Constitutional Convention was gathering and trying to develop our Constitution, which I would really wish some of our uh, leaders today would read. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. They were having a little bit of a wrangling going on at the Constitutional Convention, and they couldn't get together. And Benjamin Franklin, who some believe was a deist, I do not, I don't know that he was necessarily a Christian, but I don't believe he was a deist, stood up and said this. Have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need its assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? God in that moment was turning the heads of the quote-unquote kings, the leaders of this new country at that time. I hope you believe that. I know sometimes we don't see the evidence of that like we want to. But believe it or not, God governs in the affairs of men. Another thing to remember is that God takes whatever appears to be the negative and turns it into positive for his glory. He takes what we would consider negative and often is negative, but he turns that as positive into his glory. In other words, if you saw my midweek video, he takes buttermilk and lard and flour, which none of us would eat by themselves, And he turns them into biscuits. We love, well, I love biscuits. I don't know about you. If you don't love biscuits, then that's your un-American. I can't imagine. But anyway, the greatest example of this is Joseph, the son of, of Jacob. Joseph tells his brothers one day, hey, by the way, you're going to bow down before me. Not probably the wisest thing for him to say to his brothers. You're going to worship me. You're going to bow down before me one day. And they didn't like that very much. And so they dug a hole and they put him in it. And a group of folks come by and they, they gave him to them, sold him to them. And he went in to, to Egypt and became a slave, ultimately became uh, a leader in Pharaoh's world. He went through all kind of trials. I mean, he got locked up because Potiphar's wife lied about their relationship. And the baker and the cupbearer ask him to interpret their dreams, and he does. He says, now, just one thing. When you get out, remember me. Well, the baker, his the prophecy or uh, the interpretation of his dream was that he would lose his life, and he did. The cupbearer was released out of prison, but he did not remember Joseph. And when he finally gets to meet his family, when they finally come to town and he meets them, actually later on after all this, he says this to his brothers. He said, as for you, meaning his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God, don't you love the words, but God? I love when God interrupts life. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present 
result to, to preserve many people alive. You don't know what's going on in the circumstance. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. All that Joseph went through, all the difficulty, the disownment that he went through, he said, God turned this into good. So today I could send you, my family, to the land of Goshen and you could live. We must trust God's sovereignty. We must trust his goodness and his mercy. If we're going to get through any kind of a trial, especially the current one, we must put our trust in the fact that he is a sovereign God and he knows what he's doing. Another observation is that anxiety is the enemy of our peace. We want peace. And peace, as I said last Sunday, is not just the absence of conflict or or uh, the grandkids being quiet. Some of you can relate to that. But it is our well-being. It is the very completeness of our soul. That's the peace we're looking for. Anxiety opposes that. Now, I recently, and I've, if those of you who've listened to me very long have heard this quote so many times, you could probably got it memorized, but here it comes again, and it is that Brother Vernon Simpson offers the best definition of anxiety when he said, anxiety is a mild case of atheism. Now, he was not saying that if you're anxious that you're an atheist. What he is saying is if you're governed by anxiety, for one thing, you've lost your peace, if you're governed by anxiety, it's because a, a part of you does not believe God. A part of you does not trust God. In your eyes, he's not big enough to be trusted. But I want to tell you that if that's you, that in your eyes, you are worshiping a false image. Because that's not the God of the Bible. The Hebrew definition of anxiety is simply... The fear that dreads. The fear that dreads. Again, the worship team did not know that in my notes I have these words. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Remember, if you're not close to God, guess who moved? Leaning. On the everlasting arms, the words penned by Anthony Showalter and Elisha Hoffman, teaching us when it says, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Those are rhetorical questions. As long as I'm leaning on those everlasting arms, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to dread. Come what may. Because my trust is in him. The fact is, if we believe the previous observations that I've given you and the ones to come, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. Psalm 12 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Mm. But a good word makes him glad. Has anybody heard a good word from you lately? The good word will fight the anxiety. God is still in control. He is strong enough to be trusted. He is wise enough to know what we need and equally to know what we don't need. He is God. Don't let anxiety cause you to see a false image. Another observation is that Jesus 
is still interceding on our behalf. There, by the way, there has been no shift change at the, at the throne of God. You didn't offer up a prayer that found an empty seat. There is no coffee and donut breaks at the throne of God. He's still interceding on your behalf. Matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. He always lives, keyword, to make intercession for them. He always lives. I, I was watching a short video that Brother Gary Browning released this week. And he reminded us that sometimes we worship a an historical God. We're okay with God being a part of history or Jesus being an historical Savior. We must be reminded that he is a living Savior. He was and is part of history, but more important, he's part of your life now. He lives now. He always lives so that he can make intercession for us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus' prayers make it to the Father? Do you think God hears the prayers of the Son? A little bit of a rhetorical question again. Do you think that Jesus has the ear of the Almighty God? Absolutely. So if Jesus has the ear of Almighty God and his prayers make it to God the Father then he is interceding for you. He's interceding for me during this time and all of his children. Therefore, you have been and you are and you will be prayed for. Again, last night, Ricky sang the song, Somebody's Praying. Well, I'm glad a lot of people pray for me, but I like it when Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for me. Rest. In him. So what is the result of all of this? What is the result of these observations of our seeing our solid rock? It is this, that we find ourselves in the hands of a good God. As a child, we used to sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Now we realize even more that we are that world. We are the people of that world that he has in his hands. And when you understand who God is, how big he is, that he is in control, that he is sitting on the throne, that he is interceding for us, you understand that we find ourselves in the hands of a good God. And we worship a good God. When God declared through the prophet Haggai that he would be shaking the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land, Almost immediately in that passage, he follows up with the declaration of encouragement that says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Why would he do that? Why would he say the silver is mine, the gold is mine? That's because during these times we fret about provision. Any shaking any kind of a trial will ultimately cause us to question basic provisions. We wonder where the next fill-in-the-blank is coming from. We wonder uh, if so-and-so is going to lose their job. We wonder if our stimulus check is going to be in the bank this week. We wonder. God reminds us when he says the silver is mine, 
It's not the federal government's. The gold is mine. It's not IRS. It all belongs to me, declares the Lord of hosts. He is sovereign and he is good. Without delay, he reminds us who owns all the provision. So what do we do? We rest in his goodness and his compassion toward us. We rest in a good God. We rest in the God of the Bible, not one that we might have conjured up ourselves or not one that society would tell us or describe of God to us. We rest in this God. So what is our response? What is our response? The writer of Hebrews tells us what our response is. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. When I read that verse, it occurred to me, how do I define acceptable worship? And, and, and the writer of Hebrews answered that question. He said, you do it with reverence and awe. Do we come into God's presence with uh, frivolity? Do we come into God's presence too familiar? Uh, I had a friend, as we were teenagers, we, I'd stay at his house sometimes and he would pray. And one night he started praying and he said, oh God, oh buddy, buddy, buddy. I said, Zach. God's not your buddy. He's your Lord. God's our God. He's not our buddy. He's our friend. And when we worship him, we worship him with reverence. We worship him filled with awe. And I know some of you don't like it, but another word for that is fear. And I don't mean fear that paralyzes. I mean the fear of an awesome God. That's a good fear. It's a good respect of an awesome God. I'm going to close with just two verses. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, The rock, capital R, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. His work is perfect. You may look around your world today and you don't see perfection, but I want you to know what you don't see is the God in heaven doing his work, which is perfect. Many times we don't really have a grasp of what God is doing until after he's done it. And we look back through our lives and we see the hand of God even though at the moment we didn't see the hand of God. But we look back and we see his hand on our lives and we realize his work was perfect. I didn't see it as perfect, but it was. And now I see it. Which means as we get older and wiser, maybe we can say to ourselves, even though I don't see it now, I know that his work is perfect because he is the rock. And that's not a wrestler, by the way. That is God himself. The final passage says, be to me a rock of refuge in which to dwell and a sheltering to my sheltering in place, a sheltering stronghold to which I may continually, continually, don't miss that word, resort. God does not have a sign on his office door that says closed. 
He says, we may continually resort, which you have appointed to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You are my rock and my fortress. During this time and during whatever time we face, let's run to the rock. Let's run to the rock and find that place of firmness, stability. Find that God who is intimately and intricately involved in our lives. And we can rest and we can, we can live with the peace that is beyond comprehension because it's peace that comes from him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, during this hour, we once again find ourselves in circumstances that we're unfamiliar with. One thing we recognize is that we're not unfamiliar with you. And even more importantly, you're not unfamiliar with us. So today we cast all of our cares upon you because we recognize that you care for us. We rest on you today because you are our solid rock. You are our source of stability. We do lean on your everlasting arms, and therefore we have nothing to dread, and we have nothing to fear, and we trust you. We declare today that you are a big enough God to control and handle our circumstances, and you're a big enough God to take what we see as a negative and turn it into a positive so that you can bring us along the way. Lord, I pray for a baptism of peace. I pray for people to be overwhelmed with confidence in you and that we would be driven to your throne and that we would come with confidence to receive the grace and the mercy that we need during this time. Let not the circumstances that are around us, let not the headlines on the news determine how we react and how we respond, but let us respond in faith to you. Let your name be glorified. We worship you today, and we recognize that your work is perfect, and you're working perfectly right now. We thank you for this time together today, and I pray for each person and each household watching and listening this morning that you would permeate that abode with the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit. Where there be people needing to be healed, I pray that they would be healed. Whether there be need for provision, relationships, whatever it may be, employment, pray, Lord God, that you would have your way and do your will in those homes. Thank you for this time together, and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned. God bless you.